Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today is a special day, so we are actually not in the studio today. This is a pre-recorded show. Uh, right now, Emily and Joe are chilling at home, sleeping, getting their well-deserved rest. And this is a show that I produced the day before, and will be airing today. And so you're listening to it. And it is Ascension Thursday. Ascension Thursday is a holy day of obligation, traditionally. It has been moved to most Sundays, so most dioceses, it is uh, it's moved to the nearest Sunday, which means that for you, your obligation is fulfilled just by going to Sunday Mass. So praise be to God. And But traditionally, the th- Ascension Thursday was a holy day of obligation. So you treated Ascension Thursday as if it was a Sunday. So no work and uh, you must attend Mass. But it's been moved to the nearest Sunday. So for most people in your diocese, attending Sunday Mass will fulfill that obligation. So praise be to God. But for us at the GRN, our leadership likes to give us all the day off on Holy Days of Obligation. So praise be to God. So we are all sleeping, tucked into bed, really nice and calm and cozy. And so the rest of the show will be the best of for Catholic Drive Time. So I picked three interviews for the uh, two interviews for the first hour and one interview for the second hour where we will be doing the best of the Catholic drive time and we'll have an online premiere. So if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, you'll be seeing a premiere of the show that's airing at the same time as our show normally airs. So we won't be interacting there, but feel free to leave your comments. And I'm sure Joe, Emily, and I would be happy to check in on those things. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, which is Friday, and uh, tomorrow we'll be back in the studio, ready to keep going uh, for the show. So praise be to God. We'll see y'all live on Friday. Well, today it is a pre-recorded show, but the format of the show will stay mostly the same. There'll be a, little, a few differences. Uh, one of the main differences is I will be the narrator of the show, uh, the kind of uh, kind of pseudo host of the show. And we'll be doing Gospel of the Day, Saint of the Day. We will not be doing breaking news, uh, but instead we'll be doing Gospel of the Day, Saint of the Day, and we'll be talking a little bit about Ascension Thursday, about the Ascension of our Lord. And uh, that would be, and then after that, instead of a What's Concerning Us section, we will have a interview, a past interview that we have done with Father Sebastian Walsh will be the first interview. The second interview will be with the Glad Trads, which we had back, I believe, in February. And or maybe it was in January, but we'll be having that interview air as well. So there will be great interviews for you today that you will have. Maybe you didn't hear. Maybe you missed it whenever it first aired. And now you get a chance to hear it yet again. In the second hour, we will be on. uh, We'll be listening to an interview with Roy Showman. Now, this interview has never been heard before on the radio. This uh, this one in particular was played uh, during the time when we had the snowmageddon in Houston, Texas. And so we were not able to have uh, been able to have him on the radio, so we had him online only. So you'll get to hear that interview for the first time uh, during the second hour. And 
So praise be to God. Thank you very much for tuning in for all of our listeners at Station of the Cross and the Guadalupe Radio Network. And uh, we'll start off with prayer as usual, after which we will do Gospel of the Day and Saint of the Day, and then we'll get into the interviews for today. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored the help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, instead of the breaking news with Emily Alcaraz, we'll be having the Gospel of the Day and Saint of the Day. The Saint of the Day is Blessed Imelda Labentini. Labentini. Sorry, got that right. Born to a noble family in Bolania, Italy in 1322, she was guided in her faith by devout Catholic parents. Where she lived a life of privilege and means, she was devoted to prayer, especially the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. From her youngest days, Blessed Imelda had an all-consuming desire for unity with Jesus in Holy Communion. As young as five years of age, she expressed a deep desire to receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament by making her first communion. At that time, the age was set to be around 12 to 14 years old. So Imelda found her greatest desire denied her. This, disappointed, this disappointment did not diminish her desire to live in God's grace, though, and she persisted in seeking permission to receive Holy Communion. When she was just nine years old, she went to live with the Dominican nuns a neighbor, in a neighboring monastery. She fervently hoped that the chaplain of the convent would allow her to receive Communion since she was a nun now. But he held firm and said she must wait. She, she experienced a type of holy envy as she saw other girls reach the age and receive communion. She held such a vision that her experience would be rapturous that she would ask others, how is it possible to receive Jesus into one's heart and not to die? It was May 12, 1333, the vigil of the ascension. She watched yet again as everyone but her went to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Amelda longed to go up to receive communion, but as she had been ordered to wait until she was old enough, she remained back with a longing heart. After Mass, she remained behind. She was found a time later by one of the sisters, kneeling as she had been when they left, with a glowing light suspended above her. Inside that light, there was the sacred host, sweet, flowery scents permeated through the church and flowed outside. The other sisters were called to the miraculous scene, as was the chaplain. Seeing the host hovering above young Imelda, he knew that his earlier decision was overruled and that Jesus himself had come to her. The chaplain took the host from the air and immediately gave Imelda her first Holy Communion. Kneeling in prayer and ecstasy, the child closed her eyes and joined her Lord as her soul departed from her body. She died of pure joy. She went from First Communion to Eternal Communion. Pope Leo XII formally approved the veneration of Imelda on December 21st, 1826, and Pius X declared Blessed Imelda the patroness of First Communicants. Blessed Imelda, pray. 
The gospel of the day is from Mark chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the world, into the whole world, and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak new languages, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven, and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, praise be to God. The Gospel of the Day is referring back to the Ascension. Uh, it's actually in, pretty interesting because today is also the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, optional memorial for Our Lady of Fatima, and it is the Thursday uh, of the sixth week after Easter. So there's actually three different options for readings today, but we opted to go with the Ascension because that's what we will be talking about today. So it's very interesting. So what does the, uh, the gospel say today? Well, normally I look at Cornelius Alapidae and what he has to say about the scriptures, but today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Instead of talking about what Cornelius Alapidae said, I'm going to refer back to my one of my favorite saints, which is, as many of y'all know, uh, that would be St. Vincent Ferrer. His homily on the Ascension is absolutely beautiful, and he is not actually quoting the gospel, which I hope you'll forgive me, but I'll be actually quoting from the, um, from the, the, uh, Acts of the Apostles, which is the epistle for the day. So what does the epistle say? So I'll read you, uh, the epistle real quickly. It's very short. And then we'll talk about what is happening here. And when he said these things, while they looked on, he was raised up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were beholding him going up to heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white garments, who said also, ye men of Galilee, why stand you looking up to heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall so come as you have seen him going into heaven. Uh, so I think that's, that's a little funny, to be honest, because they're looking up to heaven because our Lord ascended into heaven and they're looking up. They're like, oh, my goodness, where did he go? And yet the angels are like, dude, what are you looking at? What's the big deal? Get going. You were sent on a mission. Go do it. Uh, I find that very amusing because I would probably be doing the same thing if I saw our Lord just ascend into heaven right in front of me. I, I'd be looking up, too. Uh, but let me get into what Cornelius Alapide had to say here. He said, our Lord chose to do things, something secret and some hidden, some public uh, and others openly. And for what reason? He said, there's two reasons why we do this. First, he did it for our instruction. He said, sometimes he did things in secret in order for to give us an example to flee from vainglory. And he said, quote, like a man hides his treasures, so good works ought to be hidden. And it says in Matthew, take heed that you do not your justice before men, not to be seen by them. Otherwise, you shall not have a reward from your father who is in heaven. Uh, the second reason is referring to why we should do things publicly. Uh, St. Vincent Ferrer has an amazing understanding here. He says, quote, God, the father be praised and blessed by those deeds, which he did publicly and openly. We are instructed that the good which we do publicly, like preaching or celebrating uh, and other things, which cannot happen secretly, be for the praise and honor and glory of God. Therefore, he, he himself said, so let your light shine before men. 
See why Christ in his life did some work secretly and some hidden, some publicly and openly. Now, this is important because many people will say things like, um, oh, you shouldn't be doing that publicly because uh, Jesus said to do it in secret. And so they discourage uh, public reparation, public uh, acts of penance, uh, protest, those kind of things. People reject that because of that. Now, to go on about the ascension specifically, so why did he do the ascension publicly? Because many people saw the ascension. Uh, it was over, well over 100 people witnessed it. Uh, St. Vincent Ferrer will continue, for where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. So he's referring here to say, our Lord knew that the apostles loved him so much that their hearts resided in our Lord, that if he stayed on earth, they could not help but think of him and only stay on earthly things. But if he ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of the father at that time, they can think of lofty things. They can think of heavenly things, which they cannot think of while he is here on earth. And he, they, uh, St. Vincent Ferrer goes, how much more about us who are weak and suffering and have not met our Lord in the, in the, in bodily, in his bodily presence, how much more can we, do we lack the desire for heaven. How much more would we just be stuck on the earthly level thinking of the body of Christ physically here on earth? So instead, our Lord allowed ourselves to us to suffer, the apostles to suffer by sinning into heaven. But by doing that, he allowed the apostles to lift their minds to higher things, to greater things, things of heaven. And then he was able to send down the advocate that came after those who would stand before him. Uh, St. Vincent will continue. They didn't bother to elevate their hearts or desires to heaven. Christ said, I shall make you raise your heart and understanding and your thoughts on high because I shall ascend to heaven. Therefore, after the ascension, their whole heart and desire and thoughts were raised on high. Now we're about to go take a break. And after the break, we'll get into the, um, the first interview with Father Sebastian Walsh, who is a Norbertine priest. And, uh, but before we go into that, uh, this last tech takeaway is keep your eyes and your heart and your mind on heavenly things. Think today on the ascension of our Lord. Meditate upon the greatness that the bodily resurrection had and how we too will have our risen bodies in heaven as well. All right. So we're off to the break. And uh, when we get back, we will be going into the interview with Father Sebastian Walsh on how to keep your kids and to revert your kids back to the Catholic faith, how to keep them Catholic. Always Catholic is the name of the book. And we'll be right back to talk about that. And remember, this is a pre-recorded show, so we're not live here in the studio, but we'll be right back. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, 
craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul. Unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Reminder that this is a pre-recorded show. We are not in studio. We are throwing you into the interview with Father Sebastian Walsh on his book, Always Catholic. And here you are. You have a book out, Father, called Always Catholic, How to Keep Your Kids in the Faith for Life and Bring Them Back If They Strayed. i got to tell you, Father, uh, here at the Catholic Radio Apostolate uh, Guadalupe Radio Network, we, we hear from listeners all the time. And one of the, the number one prayer requests we get, pray for my lost children who've left the faith. Uh, what motivated you to write this, this book in particular? That's right. It's published, published by Catholic Answers. Well, at, uh, there's a parish I help out at on Sundays in San Clemente called Our Lady of Fatima. And once a month, at least before the pandemic happened, once a month I would have a question and answer after Mass just an open form question and answer for the parishioners to come to to ask any questions about the Catholic faith. It was an opportunity, you know, to catechize and then, you know, allow the, the, the faithful to get more than they could get just in, you know, an ordinary homily. And the number one question I had was, how do I keep my kids Catholic or how do I help my, my kids who have strayed from the faith come back? And it was such a common question and I had to so often you know, give advice and then ask particular questions about their the state of their child or whatever, and then give advice on that. That I start giving talks on the the matter just in general. And um, one of the apologists from Catholic Answers was at that talk, uh, the one of the talks, and he said, "Why don't you write a book for this?" So that's what I did, and it really does seem to fill a great need among the Catholic faithful, especially parents. Uh, Father Sebastian Walsh from the Norbertines is our guest today. Now, I understand that this is a common prayer, as we just talked about, but I think, in my experience, Father, having talked to a lot of parents over the years, Catholic parents, well, I think one of the things that they run into is the pressure in society to rush their kids off to college, in particular, but let's say rush their kids off into society, and maybe those kids aren't prepared to stand on their own two ground, whether it's peer pressures or, or what, or just life in general or what have you. Um, how do you see that? Do our parents, are parents rushing their kids too quickly into the great world on, on their own? Well, one of the points I make in the book is that our children's, the children's generation today is completely different than their parents' generation was, and which is much different than their parents' generation was. And so um, we have this idea that, you know, the educational system is more or less faith neutral, and our kids, we just put them out there, and as long as we gave them the good foundation, you know, in K through 12 or something like that, that therefore they're going to be fine sailing the rest of their life. They can go wherever they want, you know, for college because the, the world is more or less, the educational system is more or less faith neutral. Or if you send them to a Catholic college, you would hope that would support their faith. Well, that's been, in fact, the opposite of the truth. 
You know, when you actually go and you see what's being taught in these universities, and even ones that go by the name Catholic, many, I should say, um, what you find is they're positively designed, the educational system, to dismantle the faith. And usually someone who's had a, an education in the faith up to 12th grade is in no position to really um, answer the objections of people who are, you know, much older than them and who have, you know, studied this in a way to really try and raise objections to the faith that your kids wouldn't be able to handle. And then, besides that, there's a social pressure of the, the vast number of other children who are not from Catholic backgrounds, who are raised just in the society as a whole, and who are basically saying, you know, I, I see the Catholic Church as the largest institution of injustice in the world. That's That's how, you know, very many non-Catholic young people come to college. And so um, young Catholic people are getting it from all sides. And so one of the points I make is not only do you have to be careful about their education, you know, getting up to 12th grade and knowing they get an authentic Catholic education there, but you also have to make sure that if they go to a college, that they go to some place that's not going to dismantle their faith. And preferably, they would go to a really good Catholic college where they, they know how to educate kids in such a way that they'll be able to stand on their own two feet and then from there, you know, go on to somewhere else. But um, but you can't just, you know, count on the fact that, you know, a, a Catholic college is going to do that for you. You know, even in back in the 50s, I mentioned in my book, my dad went to Notre Dame got his faith dismantled at Notre Dame wow. in the 1950s. They told him there's no hell. They told him there's no devil. They told him the only thing you need to do to be um, saved is to feed the poor. And, you know, that my dad, you know, suffered from that for years, decades after his time at Notre Dame. And this is in the mid-1950s. So Catholic parents need to open their eyes. And I give a whole list of ways of identifying an authentic Catholic educational institution from one that's false as part of the uh, one of the chapters of my book. Now, Father Walsh, Emily here. I actually, um, I went to Catholic school my entire life, so I can attest to the fact that it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay in the church because I left the church briefly for a while. Um, but my parents were very steadfast in their faith. They continue to pray for me. But in the world today, um, there's so many things that that you mention in your book that are tempting and luring children away from the church in a material sense there are the transitory pleasures you know you you mentioned sex and that you know sinful things like that but then there's also philosophies political philosophies relativism i wanted to know what you think the biggest potential threat is to children losing their faith great well i i'm going to answer that question in two ways because there's really two ways that children end up leaving the faith one is the way that you did, and that is where where uh, a child will temporarily leave the faith um, for a time, and then they'll come back after a few years or something like that, after kind of a you know a few years of straying, and then there's a more long term you know departure from the faith that that often you know takes decades um, to heal. The first kind of departure from the faith that's shorter and easier to cure are usually due to things that you mentioned, namely um, difficulties with regard to just understanding how the Catholic Church is not, you know, a cause of injustice or um, error or just ridiculous or things like that. Um, I, I make a big point at the beginning of my book of saying 
Look, the main reason why your children will stay Catholic and want to stay Catholic is because they'll see the connection between being Catholic and being happy. If they see that connection, they'll never leave the faith. But one of the reasons they cease to see that connection is because they think some aspects, some essential aspects of the faith are false. And so they'll leave because they hear different worldly philosophies. They're immersed in the world and in a very Catholic, I mean, anti-Catholic world environment that supplies young people with all sorts of arguments from the time they're little kids. So that's the first reason. I'll say something about the antidote for that in a minute. The second reason, which is why children leave the faith for more long term, at least in my experience, is there's deeper family of origin issues. There's problems at the level of the relationship of the parents to each other and to the children. Um, and, and very often, you'll get something like this. You'll have maybe one parent who's very devout and the other one who's not. And the parent who's devout will um, often be trying to protect the child from the non-devout parent. You know, for example, the mother will be trying to protect the child from the father and saying, don't be like your father, you know, he's this and that, and he doesn't practice faith. And what they see is the, the Catholic spouse, or the one who's more devout anyway, constantly criticizing the other one. Now, a child receives this as saying, the Catholic faith drives a wedge between my parents. Why do I want that faith? And so the, the children and families like that, they don't want anything to do with the Catholic faith because they associate it with a broken family. And that's the last thing they want for their lives. And so they just go their own way, and it takes sometimes decades for them to, to come back and realize that that wasn't really it, but it, it sure seemed like it from their perspective when they were young. So, um, so real quickly, what's an antidote for the first and the second? Um, the antidote for the first is parents need to be much more vigilant than they are over what their children take in. I think it's crazy, for example, for parents to be giving smartphones to teenagers. Um, you know, and that may be very unpopular in the modern world, but I'm sorry, you know, Jesus was also unpopular. The fact of the matter is your children are being exposed to things you have no idea about on the Internet, and, and there's no way that they should be exposed to those, those sort of things without you being able to help them, okay? Um, also, you know, their kid, their friends, who are their friends and who are, your, who are they spending time with, etc. Where are they going to school? Those are things that parents should have an open conversation with their kids about and not be afraid to say, no, we're going to take you out of this environment. It's dangerous for you. With regard to the first, um, the real difficulty there is that the, the parent who's devout needs to recognize the Catholic faith teaches that the believing husband sanctifies the unbelieving wife and the believing wife sanctifies the unbelieving husband. And that means that the Catholic faith teaches us to be more attentive, loving, faithful, affectionate towards the non-believing spouse or the less devout spouse because of our Catholic faith. And the children need to see mom or dad love their other parent even more because they're Catholic, not that they're trying to distance themselves from them. Well, one of the things I point out is... What would you say to parents who feel that they're not capable of, of teaching the full truths and theology of our tradition to their children? Yeah, well, the failure in catechesis, as you mentioned, goes way back, and so most parents are actually living under the, the consequences of that failure. Mm -hmm. You know, our grandparents, you know, probably were, you know, much, much better educated than our parents, you know, that sort of thing. So... Um, 
fortunately, there's one thing that the Internet does provide, and that is access to excellent catechetical tools. Right? I point out Catholic Answers is an excellent resource for people. One of the things I recommend when you're starting with young children is that you go through, like at the breakfast table, you have a nice conversation at breakfast, and you read a little section of the catechism you know, with your kids every single day, um, whether it's a nice little, the old Baltimore Catechism or another one or even the big catechism, you read a little section every day for breakfast and you talk to your kids about it and you do that for years and you get through the whole catechism. So um, we have excellent resources today that, that didn't exist before and the only reason someone's badly catechized today is because they haven't put the effort forth. You can find excellent catechesis. How can you help grandkids when the parents aren't actively involved in the church and the kids don't want the interference? The best thing you can do is recognize first, it's not your place to replace their parents. Mm. Their parents have a natural um, right to educate their own children, and it's not your place to take over for the parents, okay? And that's really important because when children see their grandparents interfering in their parents' rights, then it makes them want the Catholic faith less, right? Instead, the role of grandparents there is, first of all, with their own children, to show them how being a Catholic helped them to stay together, to love one another, to be happier, to get through the trials and difficulties of life. And then also to the grandchildren, if you're having any struggles, let me know, and then offering third to pray with them. If there's one thing that, um, that helps keep families together, it's prayer especially saying the rosary every day and daily mass. And if you invite your children and grandchildren to pray without any pressure, then at the very least they'll know that um, grandma and grandpa are people of prayer, and that makes them better people. Reminder, this is a pre-recorded show. We'll be right back in just a second with the Glad Trads on why are young people so attracted to the Catholic faith? We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Praise be 
be to God. We are back, and today is Ascension Thursday, so we are out of the studio today. But we have a great interview with the Glad Trads on why are young people so attracted to tradition. So we'll throw you to that, throw you into that interview right now. In this twenty in the twenty twenty year, which is now behind us, twenty twenty one is looking so much better, by the way. Um, twenty twenty, we saw a, a huge push even to the traditional. I myself, my family, and I, we obviously uh, started to go to a TLM on a regular basis, and we are growing more traditional. But there's a whole trend among young people moving to the traditional. Why is that? Why? What is it about the tradition of the church that seems so attractive to uh, to younger people? That's the question that I wanted to have a conversation around, and we invited the Gladtrad podcast, Jordan Rudolfo, to be a part of the program. Good morning to both of you again. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Let's start, uh, before we jump into that, tell us about the Glad Trad podcast. I've heard of Mad Trads. I've heard of Rad Trads. I don't think I've ever heard of a Glad Trad. <laughs> tell us, what is, what is that supposed to mean? Yes. So uh, with the Glad Trad podcast, which Rudy and I founded, is supposed to be highlighting the kind of more positive and, uh, and exciting changes in Catholic traditionalism and orthodoxy. As you said, there's a lot of young people. There's a lot of Catholics who are kind of rediscovering discovering the traditional practices of the church. This often means the Latin mass, uh, traditional forms of piety, ember days, um, all those sorts of things. And so Rudy and I both uh, had our faith rejuvenated by the attendance of the Latin mass and, uh, and also just a kind of an in-depth dive into young uh, Catholic culture that comes with it as well. So besides just all the kind of the great theological or the great uh, sort of uh, traditions of the church, we also highlight cool changes such as uh, pipe smoking, which is research into Catholic masculinity <laughs> and memes, which is yeah. all over the trad community. So a bunch of fun, too. We're really happy doing it. And where does one find the Glad Trad podcast? Where's the best outlet to go to? We're mostly on YouTube, uh, but we do have a small presence on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, but you can actually find us on any streaming platform uh, that carries podcasts. Uh, let's have a conversation. Let's dive into this. Uh, you know, I, I've often uh, uh, chewed and meditated upon, uh, especially St. Paul's words in Second Thessalonians, to hold fast to the traditions that we have handed on by either word of mouth or by letter. I've, I've I have chewed on that verse so many years. I've used it to defend the Catholic teaching on tradition so many years. And, and more recently, I've realized its context, its greater context in light of the great apostasy and the rebellion in the church, uh, as St. Paul says himself in that very chapter. But I, the, the thought, as I personally grow more traditional, having not grown up that way, I was a Protestant growing up and coming into the church and, and not really understanding the traditions, the thought occurred to me, is what what does it mean to embrace the tradition of the church like um i don't even under fully understand exactly what does it mean what is the is it just the tlm or is it more than the tlm and if if so what is the more in the traditions that it seems so many young people now statistically are being drawn to what say you jordan and rodolfo Extremely good question. Let's go this morning. Uh, I'd say again, it's kind of adhering to the sort of cultural and theological roots that made for authentic Catholic culture in the past. So it's more than just a traditional Latin mass. Although, as you'll see with the TLM, there are just these profound roots that are that are embedded that I think that we've lost in a lot of translation as we've as we've kind of experienced in Novus Ordo. And so from there, of course, it's talking about say. Uh, 
turning from something like the Novo Theologie back to, to more authentic Thomism. It's an embrace of, of Catholic education as not just so much as a, as a genuine rival to public education, but as a real serious approach to classical education. It's understanding that, that the church uh, binds and looses, uh, not for our, just for the heck of it, but really to, to authenticate and unwater our souls. So there's just a whole underlying background of music, uh, the, the entire underlying roots of what sacred music means. Like, it's not just if you have a voice, you can give it to praise God, but it's a, a real confined and really wonderful uh, tradition again uh, inside the church that has spread throughout the centuries. So there's a lot of movements that have had that are going on, and especially in a world where so many young Catholics, especially, are just yearning for truth and authenticity. Uh, that orthodoxy keeps rising to the top above uh, other sorts of things in the church. Now, I'm just curious, Rudy and Jordan, were you both raised in the traditional form of Catholicism, or were you raised in more of the newer, modern version? Actually, I was uh, I was raised in the Novus Ordo, but um, my parents, most of my family weren't really practicing. So I sort of came into the church at a later part of my life. I was around 20 years old, and I wanted to finish my, uh, my sacraments of initiation. And afterwards, uh, maybe about five years after that, I discovered the Latin Mass, uh, thankfully, through Jordan. So you're responsible for his troubles, Jordan. Yeah, I was that. I was that. I was that one kid in the in the young adult group who went Latin, and then would kind of like sneak back in, be like, "Hey, y'all should come with me sometimes." There's always right the one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that was Jordan. Well, uh, let me give an example of what I mean by you know learning as I go and and being surprised by what I learn. Again, I was raised a Protestant. I became Catholic in 1998 and just to get married to my wife or 99. I got I came into the church so I can check a box and get married. I had a mystical encounter with Christ that changed my life and then I went on a wild ride. And I still did not know the traditions of the church or understand why I should even care. But yet the other day, uh day before yesterday, I was able to go to a traditional blessing of holy water and salt that mm. blew my socks off. I mean, mm -hmm. it was beautiful. It was epic. It was my whole family uh, was just uh, drawn into this. This was our first one ever. And we were just like, this is amazing. This is so incredible. And the place was packed. I mean, there was just yeah. young families everywhere. Kids are mm -hmm. everywhere. So, uh, again, what do you think? Why? There's statistically the the traditional parishes are are growing at a, quite a clip. Uh, again, what is so attractive to young people who've never experienced it before? I'm an old person. I hadn't experienced it before, but I'm attracted to it. Why the young people? You know, and part of part of uh, my my liking of converts a lot of times is that you guys have to really fight to come into the faith, Joe. I'll just say right off the bat, where us yeah. as cradle Catholics, we more or less were supposed to inherit the kingdom, so to speak, and we either kind of broke the toys or we never knew that the toys existed. So I think for yeah. a lot of young people, we've grown up. Uh, most of us, like I'm a I'm a cradle in the Novus Ordo, and there just comes a point where we're not being fed, where it seems like we know that there's this ether of thousands of years of church tradition. We see the saints, we see how they dressed, and we start asking questions. Well, what did they what did they write? What did they actually teach what did they believe what did they go to and so i think that for a lot of people going into the traditional latin mass they find a solid foundation that feels like like the church has not started flirting at times with the kind of the spirits of the age you know they mm. they realize that, that the church has a sort of authority and whether people listen to it or don't listen to it, it's one thing but but they realize that the priests are are oftentimes uh, they're very masculine and they're very out there about their orthodoxy they're not obscuring it they're not trying for the sake of 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 uh, over over uh, emphasis on on the bad fruits of um of, of human charity 
to to make bad theology or something like that. And so uh, going to the Latin Mass, you realize that it's okay to want to have that family life. It's okay to want to cultivate that real relationship. I'm in pre-Cana right now. Um, what it means to be a husband and a father, what it means mm. for my fiance to be an authentic Catholic woman mm. and mother. And I think that there's just a lot of hair being let down because we no longer have to kind of conform to the ways of the world and kind of navigate this world of Catholic, but still making sure that we can still be part of the world in a in kind of a, an incorrect relationship. The other thing also is um, the externals of, for example, the new mass. We're taught very early on as you go into into the, uh, uh, for example, like. Um, um, I always forget the word, but a uh, program where you learn more about Catholicism. RCIA. RCIA, yes. So you're, you're in RCIA, and there's a lot of discussion about tradition and what the, the church teaches. And then you go into the Mass, and um, not to speak too broadly about every single Mass, uh, Novus Ordo Mass, but the externals don't really match what is being taught. So you you hear, oh, okay, well, Jesus is truly substantially present in the Eucharist, and yet there's all kinds of novelty around it. And so I think young people really are longing for authenticity. They're looking for for something outside of novelty. They're Mm. looking for something to graft onto. And tradition is really attractive. And thankfully, uh, because a lot of people are interested, um, more organizations and uh, just diocesan priests are offering the Latin Mass. And they're seeing record numbers coming in, as you mentioned. I mean, even for yourself and for Jordan and I, we're relatively new to tradition. So uh, we've been able to see uh, the big growth. Uh, Jordan and I uh, attended, Jordan lives in Colorado now, but I still live in Los Angeles. But we we attended, um, and well, I still attend actually, the FSSP here in Los Angeles, and it's a really relatively new apostolate. And uh, we just have seen the explosion and have been a part of that growth. And really, we're we're seeing so much, uh, so many people come in. It's incredible. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I was looking at the, uh, a lot of my friends actually attend the fraternity parish here in Houston. And I thought it's super interesting because it's group of friends that I have. I have We have one guy who is a former pagan. He was Hindu, and he converted to Catholicism. We have wow. another guy who is a former Muslim, converted to Catholicism, a couple cradle Catholics, a lot of Protestant converts, and we all have gotten together and just, like, bonded over the uh, the traditional form of Catholicism. And like Joe was talking about earlier, it doesn't mean just the Mass. I mean, the Mass is important, but it's the entire piety surrounding it, like fasting and abstaining from meat on Fridays, that kind of thing. Um, we desire to work hard at at our faith we want want it to not just be something that we do on sundays but it permeates through our whole lives and i feel like that's been lost in a lot of places perfect place to take a break a reminder this is a pre-recorded show so we are going to go to a break and get back to this interview with the glad trads on why are young people attracted to the tradition of the faith so we'll be right back so don't go anywhere we'll be back with that and much more so god bless you and see you on the other side GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, 
craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul. Unquote. God love you, gloryandshine.com. Thank you again. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Hi, I'm Emily Alcaraz, and I'm the co-host of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which airs from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I'm excited to announce our partnership with our new underwriter, Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life offers a faith-based experience while supporting the gospel of life. They work with over a 1,000 pro-life agents worldwide and generously support a variety of pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. We are back with our interview with the Glad Treads. Remember, this is a pre-recorded show. Joe, Emily, and I are not in the studio today uh, because it is Ascension Thursday. But I will throw you back into the interview with the Glad Treads on why are young people attracted to tradition? Uh, is the future of the church here in America more traditional than it ever has been in the past? Uh, either one of you want to comment? Yeah. Um, so I think especially in the age of the coronavirus, we can actually just see this manifest just by pure attendance alone. Um, as we've seen a lot of uh, parishes, unfortunately, close down, whether by their own hand or by you know the hands of those higher up to them, a lot of traditional parishes have just also just remained open. So many Catholics who've never understood the Latin Mass or never would have set foot in one are just exploding into these parishes. And many of those families are realizing, oh, wow, this is actually a very deep approach to Catholicism. Um, and so as you see, not just Latin Mass, of course, uh, Eastern Rites and these things become more interesting. You do see this kind of a turn of tradition. And I think, again, a lot of it just has to do with authenticity. And for me, I, I do think that there's a there's almost a tale of two churches sometimes. There, there are priests and bishops, good uh, priests and bishops, who really emphasize the importance of the sacraments, the importance of salvation. And uh, they exist not just, of course, in the Latin Mass, um, but they, they certainly are adhering to tradition even inside the Novus Ordo. Um, and then, of course, we've always had wolves in sheep clothing, and we do have bad priests and bishops who, mm. uh, for the sake of false charity or the sake of the lack of supernatural faith, have decided that, uh, that they would wreck everything inside. And so I think that Catholics now, more than ever, are kind of seeing a distinct choice between uh, authentic approach to the faith and the sort of falsehood that we're all supposed to sometimes pretend doesn't, doesn't always exist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, think so, too. Oh, oh go sorry. ahead, Rudy. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that that Joe asked a very uh, good question because um, I'll never forget the first time I actually went to the Latin Mass. Mm -hmm. I I was re recalling uh, or recanting to my my wife the other day that uh, the first time I ever went, I texted her immediately after and I said, "It's crazy! Literally, all of the young families are here," and um, <laughs> it's it's true. It just continues to be true uh, wherever wherever you go. I was just in Colorado uh, about a week ago and um, the families there are relatively young. And I think, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. I think the, the future is traditional. 
All the young families are there. Emily? This is true. Yeah, that's right. And they say if your church isn't crying, then it's dying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So I also... Are will... you trying to talk about my son crying at Mass all the time? <laughs> I <laughs> cry at Mass, right at me when you say that? <laughs> wow. Take him outside. <laughs> uh, so I also will never forget my first Latin Mass. I I had no idea what was going on, couldn't understand a word, and it was after... I, I went like after the gym, so I was in workout clothes. It was very embarrassing, but... <laughs> So a lot of the question that people have is why Latin? Latin's a dead language. We don't know what's going on. We can't understand mm. it. Why are young people so drawn to a liturgy where they don't understand what's going, at least initially? That's a great yeah. question. Um, you mentioned Latin being a dead language. That's actually a really good thing because, because of it being dead, there can't be any new uh, additions to the language itself. And so therefore in the liturgy, it has uh, a more uh, permanence that you don't see uh, today outside of the Latin mass. Yeah, and there's I, for me, I think that there's there's just a profundity of of, again, there's a melding of the theology that we all know and seeing mm-hmm. it in action. So um, there's this desire for everything to be comprehensible, but we know, especially as we get deep into our faith, that uh, just as Saint August, Augustine wrestled with, mm. uh, the more that we try to comprehend God, the, the you know the, the the wider and deeper He will always seem. And I think that there's a surrendering of the of the will, a surrendering yeah. of the faith that's more manifest, or at least opens the door a little bit differently when you're not having to understand every single word. But you know that that language is set aside yeah. and that it's sacred. And Latin is yeah. is one of the languages that were that was on the cross. It, it's one of the it's the language of the church. It's uh, and it's beautiful and its cadence and its rhythm. And it doesn't have to be changed. So it, it has lived throughout the centuries where we've seen changes all throughout history with with all the other vernacular languages. We're talking with uh, Jordan and uh, I'm going to say Rudy from now on, since Emily already let the cat out of the bag. Uh, Jordan and Rudy from the Glad Trad podcast about traditions. But the one thing I, I noticed when I started to go to a mass set in Latin was we are all on the same page. We are all, every human being, uh, no matter where they come from, that we're all on the same exact uh, page here, and it's the language. Uh, uh, the, I, w- I don't want to say the official language because I don't actually think it is the official language, but it is. Oh, yeah, fair, yeah. By, by default, I think it is the, uh, the official language of the church. Encyclicals are produced in Latin, for instance. Uh, the Latin Vulgate is the text that bases all of the translations. Uh, so uh, it, it is the the glue that binds in some way, and I've always found that super fascinating. But the, here's another thought: just the other day. I mean, literally two days, three days ago, Father Mark Goring of the Companions of the Cross put out a video on his YouTube channel. Now, he is a charismatic priest. I've known this man for a few years. Uh, He is a great priest. He's got a great heart, love for Christ, love for Our Lady, love for the Church, love for the sacraments. I mean, he exudes it every time you talk to him. Uh, you, You should check him out on YouTube. And even he talked about this issue of why young people are so drawn to the tradition. And one of the points he makes in his little video was... Because the young people are sick and tired of the scandals, they're sick and tired of what they feel is manipulation, they, they're sick and tired of, of go along to get along, they're sick and tired of not calling a spade a spade, and then they just see within the tradition uh, an antidote to that. And uh, which, again, made me think of the question, well, okay, it's one thing to be drawn to that, it's quite another to really understand it. And I feel like within the traditional community, have, being a new member myself and my family, I wish there was like a traditional RCIA class you could go to. Like, what are the Ember Days again? One more time. And like, mm-hmm. and I, when I first got my Latin Missal, 
I felt like I needed a degree in in, in engineering to <laughs> yeah. figure out how to use that. Thing. I remember you coming yeah. into the he Good came grief. into the office it was, was like. I don't know how to use it. It was thing. like reading the <laughs> farmer's almanac. Like, what's, what's the barometric pressure outside? I got to oh, figure out the the, or, the regular parts of the mass. I mean, it's like it was just so frustrating. And I feel like that's one of the concerns of people moving into the traditional. There's not like a there's not like a an introduction class uh, to go. What do, you, do is this part of what you do on your podcast is to help people better understand this? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that that's, that's part of helping a little bit. Uh, our podcast, besides just, when we talk about like, especially the culture of traditional Catholicism, yeah, we, we do, we do talk about missiles that we like to use. We do talk about, um, what the traditional rosary looks like. Rudy made an excellent video on that. And so I, I do think that there is a great need for, especially for a lot of Catholics coming in because the Latin Mass is our, is our birthright. Uh, it, you know, it's our home. And I think that a Catholic coming in nonetheless may feel lost with it and they might need a little bit of, of coaching through. Um, so just two little points on it. First, yes, I do think that uh, our podcast tries to, to help ease people into understanding uh, the Latin mass as well as understanding um, the, the different sorts of parts of tradition. And on the same time, there are plenty of other YouTube channels now that are rising up that will do an in-depth dive on how to use a missile, an in-depth dive on Latin mass step by step. But then the second part is, uh, is I think that for someone who is interested in going to Latin mass and may feel overwhelmed is again to really conform your prayers to that of the priests on the altar who's acting in persona Christi, right? It's really saying, God, I don't understand everything that's going on. And this is actually a great profound spiritual growth moment because I'm not in control here, obviously. And I might not understand, but I understand that what's happening is holy. And therefore, because it's sacred, I'm going to 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 pray that, that my prayers may be united in the holy sacrifice of the altar. And so I think that that's, that's also just a really great thing that it's going to help a lot of people who are new to tradition or maybe struggling to flip through the missiles every single time which can be a little annoying and confusing i mean just full disclosure i don't always flip through the missile you know like i'll look i'll look for the for the propers the different parts of the ordinary but well, i've that, gotten I'm like, used to it and i actually love it. it now but it was a learning curve I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do really love it. I feel like I'm more connected to the mass than ever before because of that missile. But it was yeah. a curve. I, I had to get over that. Emily? Yeah, I know this is one of the major things that is stopping people from coming to the Latin mass is they don't understand it. The other thing, which I've heard from lots of people, is that there's, there's this stereotype of the rad trad who is mean and judgmental and yes. prideful. Would you say that this is in any way accurate? And how do we remedy it? Well, I do think... Uh like with any community, there are some more uh, radical people and some people who are more uh, down-to-earth and approachable. Uh, there are some rad-trads, but I would say that's, that's very rare to run into. And going back to your last question about the missile and, and everything like that, um, my advice for a new person would be to just, just go and experience it the first time and not worry about it. You know, just kind of go and see what the Latin Mass is about. And like with anything, um, you know, the, the missile or uh, practicing music or something like that, um, it just it just comes with time. That experience comes with time. I, As Jordan was saying, you know, sometimes we don't even open the missile. And, uh, you know, uh, you don't you don't have to worry about being at the right spot at the right time. You just unite yourself to to the mass. Uh, but yeah, there is a stereotype, and um, that's part of the reason why we created this podcast uh, and named it the Gladrat Podcast, because we wanted to show a different side of tradition uh, that wasn't just a, a trope that most people had encountered or uh, have told stories about. Um, 
we like to show things in a positive light. And I think you'll find in many traditional communities that a lot of people, like the majority of people there, are, are really welcoming and happy that you're, you're coming into the Latin Mass. And I got to say, that is also one of the learning curves, too, was, you know, part of the stigma of the tradition, traditional community, it has been, you know, the, the more uh, scrupulous nature of, of that. And I have to say, especially in the confessional, I feel like the, the, conf- the access to confession on a more frequent basis uh, has been a, just a game changer for me and for my family. Two minutes left. What do you, any insight there from your own perspectives on your journeys? Isn't it nice, especially so, uh, isn't it nice that uh, confessions usually happen a half an hour or beyond half an hour before mass, and that's on the reg a lot of times with traditional communities. Uh, in fact, we have three priests at a Lady of Mount Carmel here in Littleton, and what happens is one priest will say the mass, two priests will be in the confessional, one of the mm-hmm. priests from the confessional will get up for the homily, and then they'll go back around. And it's just like, it's funny, you would think that, you know, one of the kind of the great uh, ironies is that for people that are supposed to be rad and more scrupulous and everything, which you do find their outliers, uh, there's a lot more people who are going to confession. Those lines are always at the door, even just on a low mass. And so I do think that, that yeah, that regular approach to confession, that regular approach to the mass, everything is really, really helpful, obviously, in, in the great spiritual growth and love that we can have for Christ. All right, that'll do it for the first hour. If you can hang on with us, uh, the we are going into our second hour. Remember, this is a pre-recorded show, so uh, we will be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled live program. But thank you very much, Station of the Cross, for being on with us. In the next hour, we will have our interview with Roy Showman on Salvation is from the Jews. So we'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. I have a friend who says that baptism is a symbolic act and that it has nothing to do with salvation. How can I answer him? Simple. Show him what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that baptism is merely a symbolic act. That passage simply does not exist. But the Bible does say this about baptism. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, it says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you. Here in the Old Testament, we have a foreshadowing of New Testament baptism. In the New Testament, Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No symbolic language here. The book of Acts says, Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from your uncleannesses. The book of Acts says, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel says, And I will put my spirit within you. Do you begin to see how God in the Old Covenant was preparing us for what He gives us in the New Covenant? Acts 22, 16, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. What body was that? The body of Christ. 1 Peter 3, 21, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Scripture simply does not support the non-Catholic notion that baptism is symbolic. 
Scripture does, however, very clearly and directly support the Catholic teaching that baptism saves us, that baptism makes us members of the body of Christ, that baptism washes away sin, and that through baptism we receive the Holy Spirit just as the church teaches. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, I am your host, Adrian Fonseca, the producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. So Joe, Emily, and I are actually at home sleeping. So we're in bed, tucked away, sleeping, sleeping in, because today, today is the celebration of the ascension of our Lord into heaven. So because of that, we are actually not in the studio today, and we have pre-recorded a great show for you. Unfortunately, that means that there is no game show today, but don't worry, don't worry, We will be back tomorrow for more of the game show. So there's still one more chance for you to win, and we'll pull the name out tomorrow morning to uh, during the game show. So and we'll have the game show again next week, and we'll be finishing up the show. So so make sure to tune in tomorrow for the game show. But today, what are we doing today? Well, a number of things. Things will be a little bit different, but mostly the same. We'll have gospel of the day, saint of the day, no good news of the day, but instead. We're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the ascension of our Lord, which is an amazing thing to talk about. The other thing is we're having an interview instead of the game show today. The interview will be with Roy Showman on Salvation is from the Jews. He's going to talk about his amazing conversion story where Our Lady herself appeared to him. Amazing interview. You're not going to want to miss this. And the and other than that, we the show will proceed as usual. And for uh, most people, today is a holy day of obligation. But in America, for most people, it has been transferred to the nearest Sunday. What does that mean? That means that going to Mass on Sunday will fulfill your obligation. So you don't have to worry about uh, running off to Mass or or canceling your plans for today. Uh, your the t- Most dioceses have transferred the feast to the nearest Sunday. What does that mean, though? Why is it a holy day of obligation? Well, it's a great feast day, the Solemnity of the Ascension, but the and, uh, and traditional traditionally, it is a holy day of obligation, so you treat it like a Sunday. So no work. You got to go to Mass. And uh, that's the that's the rule, binding by mortal sin for Holy Days of Obligation. But the most bishops have transferred the feast to the nearest Sunday, so no need to fret. All righty, we'll get the ball rolling, we'll get started, and we'll do the prayer before we get going, and we'll do the memorare as usual, and then we'll do gospel today, saying the day, uh, talking about the ascension, and then the interview with Roy Showman. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin, O virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. And now, instead of the good news of the day, it is the gospel of the day and saint of the day. Saint of the day is Blessed Imelda. Blessed Imelda was born to a noble family in Bologna, Italy in 1322. She was guided in her faith by devout Catholic parents, where she lived a life of privilege, but she was devoted to prayer and especially the holy sacrifice of the Mass. From her youngest days, Blessed Imelda had an all-consuming desire for unity with, the Jesus, with Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. As young as five years of age, she expressed a deep desire to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament by making her first communion. At that time, the age was set to be around 12 to 14 years old, so Imelda found her greatest desire denied her. This disappointment did not diminish her desire to live in God's grace, though and she persisted in seeking permission to receive Holy Communion. When she was about nine years old, she went to live with the Dominican nuns at a neighboring monastery. She fervently hoped that the chaplain of the convent would allow her to receive communion since she was a nun. But he held firm and said she must wait. She experienced a type of holy envy as she saw all the other girls reach up and reach the age and receive communion. She held such a vision that the experience would be rapturous that she would ask others, how is it possible to receive Jesus into one's heart and not to die? It was May 12, 1333, the Vigil of the Ascension. She watched yet again as everyone but her went to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Amelda longed to go up there to receive communion, but as she had been ordered to wait until she was old enough, She remained back with a longing heart. After Mass, she remained behind to pray. She was found a time later by one of the sisters, kneeling as she had been when they had left, with a glowing light suspended above her. Inside the light was the sacred host. Sweet and flowery scents permeated through the church and flowed outside. The other sisters were called to the miraculous scene, as was the chaplain. Seeing the host hovering above young Imelda, he knew that his earlier decision was overruled by Jesus himself. The chaplain took the host from the air and immediately gave Imelda her first communion. Kneeling in prayer and ecstasy, the child closed her eyes and joined her Lord as her soul departed from her body. She died of pure joy. She went from first communion to eternal communion. Pope Leo XII formally approved the veneration of Imelda on a blessed, as blessed in December 21st, 1826, and Pope Pius X declared Blessed Imelda the patroness of first communicants. Blessed Imelda, pray for us. The Gospel of the Day comes from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. 
they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ. The gospel passage today refers to the disciples going out and preaching the gospel and preaching the word to all the people and converting nations. So our Lord said that He will go and prepare a place for you. Now our Lord shows His humility here because He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and yet He humiliates Himself. He shows great humility because often. Kings will send nuncios and shield bearers to prepare the places for him. But instead, Christ himself goes to heaven to prepare a place for us. St. Vincent Ferrer would say, practically speaking, when he was in heaven, the Holy Fathers, at the ascension, so many were so great. Gathered in fact, in the first we street. see that whenever he was ascending into heaven, he gave down his blessing just like we see at the holy sacrifice of the mass today when the priest gives his blessing from the altar to the people. That's where this comes from. He, the people would have told him, Lord, give us a blessing. And he just gave his blessing as he's ascending into heaven. Also, St. Vincent Ferrer says that the Virgin Mary was told there, rejoice, O Virgin Mary, because you alone have destroyed all heresies in the whole world. So praise be to God for that because our Lord said that she, that he would give the wisdom to his mother, to the Blessed Mother. And he said, quote, according to St. Vincent, Blessed Mother, you shall remain in my place. You shall comfort my apostles. And because of the wisdom which I shall give you, you will destroy heresies which arise. Because of this, it is said of the Virgin Mary, Rejoice, O Virgin Mary. You alone have destroyed all heresies in the whole world. Praise be to God for that. And the last thing I want to point out is the nine choirs of angels. These are the worlds that, uh, these are the rankings of how we ourselves, when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, God willing, will be gathered and pointed out. So you will have people d- divided. And people who served him spiritual works will receive the, uh, the, the lowest part of the archangels and the angels. That they, uh, the principalities, those who have, um, have served in works of mercy will receive that order. Those who are patient in adversities will receive a fourth order. People who were, were patient and not, and did not have ill will toward anyone will have the fifth order. The sixth order will be those who ruled, uh, justly. Those who are leaders, rulers, and judges who ruled justly. The seventh order or the one, the order of thrones will those who embraced poverty for the sake of the kingdom of God. The, those in the eighth order are those who are, were contemplatives, like monks who receive divine wisdom. And then finally, the ninth order or the seraphim are those with burning charity for the love of God. So these are the orders and rankings of heaven in which we will be uh, distributed. And don't worry, no matter where you lie on that, and that you will be receive all the grace because our Lord himself ascended into heaven to prepare, prepare a place for you. That will conclude our uh, Gospel of the Day and Saint of the Day and Gospel Reflection. And reminder, today is a pre-recorded show, so no game show today. Don't call in, but call in tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow with a our last chance to win to this week's prize, so be sure to stay there. But instead, we will be having a great interview with our friend Roy Showman on Salvation is from the Jews. You won't want to miss this interview. He talks about how Our Lady herself appeared to him and helped 
bring about his conversion. So I'll throw you into that interview right after this break. Gloryandshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Gloryandshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Gloryandshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Gloryandshine.com. Thank you again. And remember, this is a pre-recorded show, so no game show today. Don't call in. Call in tomorrow when the game show is back and ready to win the prize. But today we have an interview with Roy Showman on Salvation is from the Jews. It is a pre-recorded interview, a past interview, and it's slightly edited for time, but we'll throw you into it right now. Let's, let's dive into the story. Um, I, I may want to expand our conversation beyond the story itself because I'd love to get your opinions on some things, but, but let's... Tell us the story. You were raised Jewish, but very. Um, there, maybe you can start by describing to us among among Jews the levels of religiousness, because I know that there's sort of a spectrum there. But maybe you can help help us better understand. What was your background? Yeah, it, um, it, it's actually it's quite quite complicated. <laughs> um, there is quite a spectrum. Uh, there's a spectrum from the uh, ultra orthodox. Uh, most people think of the Hasidim with the long ear curls and the black coats who live, generally live in isolated communities in, in Brooklyn or upstate New York or Jerusalem or something because they hold to a very uh, kind of a pure lifestyle that doesn't tolerate too much intermingling all the way to Woody Allen. <laughs> I mean, basically um, depraved atheist Jews who still think of themselves, I mean, their Jewish identity is still the center of their identity. And my family was kind of, I'd say, if, if that, you know, if you rate that from zero to 10, uh, zero being the least religious and 10 being the most, uh, my family was probably a six and a half or seven. They both, both my parents were German Jewish Holocaust refugees. They had grown up in a slightly more religious environments. And then by the time they had their own family in the United States, they had slid down, uh, you know, half a notch to a more American level. But uh, it was still was, I mean, I went to religious education alongside normal school from first grade until I left for college. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I took the religion quite seriously and the practices of the religion very seriously. And I really believed that God was available only through, I don't know if I thought about it for other people, but certainly for me that God was only available through Judaism. Roy Showman is our guest today. Salvation is from the Jews is his book. Highly recommend you read it if you've not done so already. Um, I also have a, uh, a book on my bookshelf back there uh, from the chief rabbi of Rome during World War II who converted to the Catholic faith after, took the name of Eugenio Zoli. Um, he talked about in that book about how what life was like growing up as a Jew, especially in terms of the New Testament and how he would read it sort of secretly. And of course, Jesus' name could not be mentioned at the house. What was that like for you in particular? I know it's a big part of your conversion, and I hope you'll share that with us in a moment. But in particular, the Jesus in your home, your family, is that a name that could never be mentioned? I don't remember it being mentioned much. Um, 
but it didn't have it, it didn't have a super strong sense of taboo. But certainly, okay. you know, he's not you know he's not for us. It has nothing to do with us. I remember um, <laughs> as a very small child. I used to always whine around Christmas time. I want a Christmas tree. I want a Christmas tree. And I was shut down rather abruptly that, you know, sh shut up. That's not for us. But it was never really explained to me, uh, you know, the, the inner workings of that dynamic. So would you, so did you have odd conversations with friends at school and, and, you know, uh, around town or whatever? How did you deal with, with not truly understanding, but also uh, conversating with Gentile friends? I think, I mean, I, I, we were very conscious of being Jews. And this is a long time ago. There, there, there was quite a, a separation, a social separation. Uh, uh, it was only my junior or senior year in high school when the local country club for the first time decided to allow Jews in. Uh, the town where my parents bought a house was the only town in wow. the area that would allow Jews to buy houses. Um, it wasn't anti-Semitism per se, but it was a strong sense of enforced separation. So I don't think I went there really with non-Jewish friends. And most of my friends, I mean, virtually all my real friends were Jewish. And I had, you know, schoolmates and played with uh, friends who weren't Jewish. But it's not like it got really personal in that way. So we're talking to Roy Sherman about uh, his life and his experience. Roy, MIT, Harvard, very well educated. Um, I'm, if, if I remember correctly in your story, you had uh, an experience that is not uh, uncommon for many people uh, in the faith. They go off to school, they lose their faith. You seem to have that same track. What was that like for you, especially in regards to your family, to go off to, to college, get to these degrees, and then all of a sudden you're losing your faith? Well, first of all, oh boy, these are such good questions that I, I feel like I wish I had a half an hour to answer any one of them. <laughs> um, the whole nature of faith in Judaism and of Jewish being Jewish and being a good Jew is very different from the nature of faith and being a good Catholic. Um, in Catholicism, faith is at the center of, of being a Catholic. And in Judaism, Jewish practice is an identity is at the center of being Jewish. Mm. And there isn't really a stigma if you don't believe in God, as long as you um, behave the way a Jew is supposed to behave and follow the laws a Jew is supposed to follow, then the feeling is that, you know, faith will take care of itself or faith will follow or something like that. So losing faith in God per se was not a, my losing faith in God was not an issue for my parents, a crisis for my parents. If I, you know, if I had married a non-Jewish girl or something, that might have been a crisis <laughs> for my parents. <laughs> So what was it that uh, re sort of restored your faith or what was it that started to bring you <laughs> back into faith? What led to this conversion that you wrote about in this book? Well, um, I was a, uh, I, I, as you mentioned, I went to MIT, I went to Harvard Business School. I was invited to join the faculty. I was a professor of marketing at Harvard Business School, I think at the age of 29. And um, I had given up any hope in the, believing that God existed long since, you know, 10 or 12 years earlier. Um, and uh, therefore, I was in a tremendous existential despair because life had no meaning or purpose. Things just happen. You live 80 or 90 years, you die. That's it. There's no reason or pattern or rhyme to anything. 
and um, there was nothing I could hope could, which might give my life meaning in the future because I was already more successful than I ever expected to be being a professor at Harvard. Um, so there was no purpose. There was really almost no reason to go on. And in that despair, I was walking in nature one morning when I received the unsolicited gift that God revealed himself to me. And I found myself in the presence of God, seeing my life as though I had died and was looking back over my life in the presence of God and understanding everything as I would after I died and was looking back over my life in the presence of God. And um, I, I learned a tremendous amount of theological truths in that experience. I was shown them about divine providence, about the fact that we live forever, the fact that every action has a moral content that's recorded for all eternity, the fact that we're going to be rewarded for everything we do of value in the eyes of heaven for all eternity, um, and so forth and so on. I hear a tremendous amount, actually. Um, and so when I came out of that experience, so to speak, I not only knew that God existed, I knew that he loved me very personally, knew me very personally, had been arranging everything that had ever happened to me to be the most perfect thing. I knew there was never any reason to be anxious about anything, um, especially caring about not being loved when, in fact, every moment of our existence were held in an ocean of love greater than I could have ever hoped for or imagined. And I basically received all that knowledge in this experience. And so that's what turned me around, as you ask. He didn't reveal why, but I will say one odd thing about this experience is during this experience, I was not surprised that I was seeing into the spiritual world and experiencing the spiritual world directly. The only thing that surprised me was that I had ever not been because the spiritual world was so much more real and so much more immediate, so much more concrete than the physical world that I, I couldn't. I couldn't understand how I could ever have been blind to it. And I couldn't imagine that I would ever be blind to it again. So I wasn't surprised that I found myself in the lap of God, so to speak. I was only surprised that I ever was unaware of it. During this experience, uh, this direct experience of God, I, of course, knew how God loved me. I knew the meaning and purpose of my life was to worship and serve my Lord and Master who was revealing himself to me. And I prayed on the spot, let me know your name so I know what religion to follow to worship and honor you properly. I don't mind if you're Buddha and I have to become Buddhist. I don't mind if you're Krishna and I have to become Hindu. I don't mind if you're Apollo and I have to become a Roman pagan, as long as you're not Christ and I have to become Christian. <laughs> so I very literally was praying that at the time, and he did not reveal his name to me. Obviously, I wasn't ready to hear it at the time. Was that surprising at all that uh, that you were being given so many graces, but only in stages? Like you weren't given the whole thing all at once, uh, you know, but they was just sort of giving you a slow and steady drip of this incredible grace. First of all, I say a slow and steady fire hose. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, you know, God is really good at his job. And uh, I realize now that he gave me as much as I could handle at the time. And he gave me things as soon as I was able to handle them. I wasn't ready to make the leap to uh, accepting Christianity on day one. I wasn't willing to make the leap to give up all of my sinful behavior on day one. And he gradually, you know, step by step, he took me along as any good, you know, educator or formator or whatever would do. 
Roy Schumann is our guest. Salvation is from the Jews is his book by Ignatius Press. Highly recommend you pick this up. But Our Lady had a huge role in in your own journey there, Roy. Maybe you can start by telling us when did you encounter Our Lady and and what was that experience like for you? Sure. Well, um, after that initial experience, I went back home to Cambridge, Massachusetts, right, because I was at Harvard. But I no longer had any interest in teaching Harvard MBAs how to make any more money. All I wanted to do was pursue this experience and serve this God and start, you know, working on my heavenly bank account, essentially. So every night before going to sleep, I would say a short prayer I had made up to know the name of my Lord and God and Master who had revealed himself to me that day. And a year to the day after that initial experience, I went to sleep. I thought I was woken by a hand gently on my shoulder and led to a room, left alone with the most beautiful young woman I could ever imagine. I knew without being told that it was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, When I found myself in her presence, all I wanted to do was fall on my knees and somehow honor her appropriately. I was overwhelmed. I, I mean, I was overwhelmed by her beauty, but more, even more than that, I was absolutely overwhelmed by being in the presence of the love that flowed from her which lifted me up into a state of ecstasy, actually, greater than I ever imagined. And um, the first thing she said to me was she offered to answer any questions I might have for her. So I asked her five or six, maybe seven questions, which she graciously answered. And then (laughs) graciously answered. I have to say graciously, but actually sometimes reluctantly answered. (laughs) Um, And then uh, the audience is over. I went back to sleep. Now, I now realize that my body was asleep in bed throughout this experience. I I didn't know that at the time, but I now recognize that. Anyway, after the audience is over, I went back to sleep. And the next morning when I woke up, um, I knew who the Blessed Virgin Mary was, but I really knew who she was. In other words, I had experienced in this dream the way that she is the a funnel or conduit for all of the graces that flow from divinity into humanity flow through her. I actually kind of directly experienced this in this experience. So I knew who the Blessed Virgin Mary was. And of course, I could figure out if this is the Blessed Virgin Mary, then, you know, it was Christ in that first experience. And um, at that point, I was willing to go wherever the truth led me, including into the Catholic Church, although it's still a little bit of, you know, kicking at the goad. Mm. Now, how did your family and friends react to this sudden change? Well, I like to say my family was fine with it for the first three years because I didn't have the nerve to tell them. (laughs) Um, But I uh, basically, I almost instantly lost all of my Cambridge academic intellectual friends. My colleagues on the faculty of Harvard Business School weren't having any of this. And um, they quite literally, I think now looking back on it, thought I had gone insane. And uh, they just didn't want, you know what I mean? They just kind of had this awkward withdrawal, like, you know, well, we don't want to, you don't want, we don't want to inflame him because it might become violent, but we just want to kind of get out of the situation. Um, So uh, I basically, I lost all of those friends. One or two who were like closet spiritual new age you know kind of open-minded they were they kept contact but the rest didn't and then a few years later when i had the nerve to tell my parents uh, they initially had an extremely strong negative reaction especially my father my son is dead i never want to hear his name again and so forth but that didn't last forever and the really good news is when they got very old 
um, I mentioned I'm in Florida. I moved them down here to a home for very old people. It's actually like a special apartment house. And I took care of them. And um, they both ended up entering the church before dying. Praise so, be to God. Yeah. That is amazing. Praise God for that. Um, how did you become Catholic? So you encounter Our Lady, but that didn't immediately translate to you starting to attend Mass the next day. So tell us about that part. No, but it did translate to me starting to hang around a Marian shrine <laughs> starting the next day, <laughs> which not coincidentally was Catholic. Um, the, uh, the first thing I did after that experience of Mary, because I didn't know the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant, so I just looked in a local phone book to find a church to go to. It's a Protestant church. As soon as I got a little bit comfortable with the pastor, I kind of shyly said, what about the Blessed Virgin Mary? And when she, when he answered uh, with less respect for her than I knew she deserved, I just mm. knew, you know, this is no home for me. And meanwhile, I was spending a lot of time at a Marian shrine. It was actually to Our Lady of La Salette, about 45 minutes from my house. I was driving up there three or four times a week just to walk the grounds and kind of commune with Mary. And so I was exposed to the Catholic Church that way. And in fact, whenever I was there and there was a mass going on, I was filled with this tremendous, uh, almost like lust to receive communion. Um, so that, uh, and actually, we don't have, don't really have time for this, but um, I found myself at a Carthusian monastery in those days, still Jewish, still anti-Catholic, actually. <laughs> um, and, but they thought I was a prospective vocation, so I was allowed to visit. And it was actually there that I saw the true spirit, the inner spirit of the Catholic Church, which is really the spirit of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm. And so it was really my time there that translated my love for the Blessed Virgin Mary into a desire to enter the church. That'll be it for the radio side. We have to say goodbye, but we'll see you here tomorrow, same time, same place. But this time we'll be live and ready for the game show with one last chance to win the prize for this week. God love you, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.